We're glad you're joining us here at Common Thread Online. This is a recording of our community gathering as we do each week to think together about the spiritual journey. At the end of the lesson, we open the floor for discussion, but we'd love to hear what you're thinking as well. On our website are directions to download our app. Once you have it, join the group. What are you thinking? We'd love to connect with you there. Age of 22, I was a worn-out veteran of the false self wars. I had built my very young life in reaction to a very unhealthy family system, and I had constructed a homemade version of self, drawing bits and pieces of that stitched together self from what the culture told me a good person was, what the culture told me a successful person was, or what I saw from a distance how people that I admired live, uh, lived, how they lived. From I had wealthy neighbors, I had a wealthy dentist. I looked at their lives from a distance and said, that must be what a good person does. But mostly, as we do, I stitched together my version of self from what I found inside of myself, from my own innate personality. So yesterday was our annual Enneagram seminar, and you might have learned then about the number eight personalities uh, tendencies. And I am that we tend to not allow ourselves to feel weakness. We tend to not allow ourselves to feel vulnerable. We tend to not even see that we're not allowing ourselves to feel weak or to feel vulnerable. So that's been a growing edge for my life for as long as I can remember. Now, I understand now, I did not understand then, that that does not mean that I wasn't weak, and that does not mean that I wasn't vulnerable. It just meant that my brain had all kinds of tricks that it would play to divert me, to not pay attention so that I didn't have to see my weakness, so that I didn't have to see my vulnerability. And that was a problem. It was also a problem that my society didn't do much to help me with. Uh, on the contrary, my society kept selling me the notion that good people do exactly what you're doing. Good people make it on their own. Good people are tough. Good people tend to be solitary, tend to be strong and independent and unneedy. And back then, and they probably also smoke a Marlboro. So that cultural message was catnip for a personality like mine because, hell yeah, that's who I will be. That's how I'm going to live. You just watch me. And so I did. From my earliest conscious moments, it was me and Jesus being co-saviors of the world, <laughs> bringing salvation to the world together. I acted as guardian for my stepbrothers who were substantially younger than I was, helped them grow up, in many ways acted like a father to them. I protected my mother, and I carried the load of what she was going through in her life. At 18, I became the family's breadwinner and stayed at home in college in order to be able to do that. And I lived this Spartan life, I lived this disciplined life so that I could keep my sick family system from falling apart because heroic, solitary, independent me. Strong, unneedy me. 
until there I was at 22. Now, <coughs> you are probably closer to 22 than I am. That just seems so incredibly young. At 22, I was already a worn-out veteran of the false self-wars. But then, also at 22, I had a life-altering conversation. The man's name was Randy Justa. I will owe him for as many days as I get on this earth. He precipitated a crossroad moment in my life. I was part of a leadership team, and he was the overseer, and he was the first one to ever tell me, Doug, your stitched-together version of self, it's going to kill you. I'd not heard that before. I'd grown up in church, and I'd not heard that before. I had been diligent in school, and I had not heard that before. I had paid attention in my family and in my culture and in my society. I had never heard that before. All those places, to the contrary, said, well, look at Doug go. He's a good one. He's doing what needs to be done, and he's doing it well. He's going to make it in life. We do not have to worry about him. But it was wearing me out. And it was wearing me out fast. I was depressed. I was burned. I was crumbling at the edges. And I was 22. Now, in hindsight, it was obvious what was happening. And it was obvious why it was happening. But only this man ever said it to me. Yeah, kid, this self that you've stitched together, it's going to kill you. The other team members, he told me, they admire you. They do. They think you're strong, and they think you're capable, and they're not wrong. You are strong and capable, but they have no idea that you would ever need them. You, they have no idea that you would ever need encouragement. They have no idea that you would ever need support. You have sold them, this, sold them on this idea that you are this persona that you project, and now they have bought it. They believe you. So here you are in your best bet, the best environment you can imagine to have life companions who would stand with you on the journey. They are your best bet for having healthy, interconnected community, but they have all bought what you are selling, that you don't need them, that you really don't need anything. And all that would be great if it was even close to the truth. <laughs> but here you are, worn out, depressed, and crumbling. And not one of them has any idea. I didn't have any idea, he said. So yeah, kid, this thing that you do, this persona that you project, it's going to kill you. You think that this image that you've constructed is a good life. What you think is good, though, is a death sentence. Now, here's the thing. That was crazy talk. <laughs> he was, what he was telling me was that up was down and that in was out. That's just crazy stuff. The problem was I really respected this guy. Anybody else, likely I would have dismissed it, but not from him. So I walked away that day determined. Determined to change my life. Determined to invite people in. 
determined to live an interdependent life, to invite support as well as to offer it, to invite encouragement as well as to offer, offer it, I walked away determined. And wouldn't it be great if determined was all it took <laughs> to dismantle the false self? But it is not, and it was not. Last week, Robin repeated a refrain for each one of the personality types again and again and again. She said it. For each personality's blind spot, the core lie that each personality believes, she repeated again and again, none of us, no personality ever sees themselves in their blind spot. If you're a number six, no number six sees themselves being fearful or sees themselves being motivated or organizing their lives around fear. No personality ever sees themselves controlled by angry thoughts, controlled by angry feelings. That would be the one's core lie. Our perceptions, she said, get filtered through so that we only see a little bit of the truth. Remember the three circles that she put up, and when she put that filter over, all we see is that little tiny spot. What we see is true, but then she said it again and again and again, but what we see is not reality. What we see is true, but what we see is not reality. It's true, but it's not big enough. It's not big enough to contain reality. So we can determine that we are going to move beyond our false selves, and we can keep determining until the cows come home, but that isn't going to change because you can't change what you can't see. And the very nature of the false self is not seeing. It's that we are blind to these very things. They are our core lies that we believe. We can't identify our feelings as self-deceit. That would be number three's uh, vice. We never think, ah, oh, I'm acting from my envy motivation. That would be number fours. We can't identify the self that we've stitched together because we think this is actually me. So thank you, Randy Just. It really was a crossroad conversation in my life. You helped me see that there is a problem. You helped me feel the desire to be free of this death grip. I walked away from that conversation with a different compass bearing in my life. Thank you very much. I walked away feeling as light as a feather. I walked away ready to live a new and improved life, an interdependent man, a life of mutuality, deeply committed to the ideal to live in interconnected community. But at 22, I was still dumb, and I thought determined would do the trick. And yeah, no. So, we're starting this lesson, the technology of transformation, the practicalities of how human beings change, how human beings grow, and how they transform. So before we get to the actual tools of change, we need to talk first about bricks. Now, I spoke to you about my false self. Yours isn't going to look anything like mine. But again, I mentioned that the arc of the narrative you'll probably recognize. So let's talk about bricks. <coughs> this talk about bricks I've had with many people individually. I might have had it with you, probably at a coffee shop somewhere, probably pulled out a piece of paper, probably pulled out a pen, probably did some drawings on a paper. Uh, so imagine our souls as a brick. 
But given how we've been talking about my soul, given what I'm pretty much sure is also true about your soul, our soul is a brick of shit. <laughs> it's a shit brick. <laughs> so here is my soul, my unvulnerable, non-weak soul. It's a brick, and given what I've just said, you know the texture of my brick. <laughs> it's a brick of shit. Now don't feel smug or judgy. <laughs> You've got a shit brick too. It's just a different kind of shit for you. Mine is Enneagram 8 shit. Mine is don't acknowledge weakness, not even to yourself. Don't show vulnerability to anyone, especially don't show vulnerability to yourself. Don't ever pay attention to your body's needs. Don't pay attention to your heart's needs. Don't pay attention to your soul. Run at full, set, at full pace. Push through. Get to the other side. Don't acknowledge. That's what's in my brick. So here's the thing to understand. It's not like I wake up tomorrow after having had this great crossroad conversation and all, all of a sudden I no longer have that brick, but all of a sudden I have your brick. No, that is not the way this thing works. It's not like I wake up tomorrow, even after this epiphany that I've had, even after this great insight I've had, I don't wake up tomorrow and have a fundamentally different brick because I've still got the same personality that I had. I've still got the same life experience that I've had. It's not a different brick. It's the same one. My shit runs pretty consistently through and through. Consequently, I am dealing with, and I'm going to be dealing with, the blindness of my blind spot for tomorrow and tomorrow's tomorrow and for all the foreseeable tomorrows that I'm going to get. But I do have this crossroad conversation. I see something I had not seen. I know it's important. I know that a new direction has been set for my life and I, that was true. What I walked away at 22 is still true. It's still the same perspective I had walking from his office to the car. I still have it now. 40 years later. That was a crossroad moment. I walked to the car knowing that my world had changed, my commitments had changed, the direction of my life had changed. Free at last, I could feel it even in that moment. I could feel what it was like to have that part of my brick carved out in that vacuous space of freedom that left, that was left for me. We know when some part of our false self no longer controls us. We know when we've had an experience in which we have seen the light. We know when we have had an epiphany. So I floated to the car that day. I knew my world had changed. But, take a look at my brick. <laughs> There's a lot of shit left. And it's the same kind. So, the whole way that I had lived my life all the ways that I rel related to all the things that make up life. How I related to money, how I related to women, and to sex, and to romance, and to school, and to learning, and to religion, and to spirituality. On that day, I got a glimpse. I got an important glimpse, a reset the compass bearing of my life kind of glimpse, but what I did not do was excavate all the areas where my core lie had determined how I did all the things that make up doing one's life. 
that excavating is still going on. A bunch of it happened in the process of making my marriage work. I had to do a lot of excavating of that version of shit. I when I met a lot of it got excavated when I was starting a church and learning how to do that and feel the responsibility for starting the church but not be in control of the church. That was a lot of excavating. A lot of excavating happened during some serious financial hits that we have had through the years. Uh, more excavating when one of my sons was flirting with drug addiction. More lately, navigating this damn political division that's going on in our country. Excavating has been and is a lifelong process, weakening over time the hold that the false self has over me. A lifetime of excavating this go-to core lie stitched together version of me. I'm still pulling out stuff. So, there I was, effusive, bubbly, feeling all kinds of lightness inside, walking to my car, determined, 20-year-old with a new lease on life, thank God I'm free at last. But you know how long effusive and bubbly lightness lasts maybe a week and this this is not a week-long process that's a lifetime process that's today that's tomorrow and as I said a moment ago that's all of tomorrow's tomorrows well that's what this lesson's about how do we participate in the technologies of transformation and how do we do it over a lifetime now I hope just hearing that little bit you hear, waiting in the wings, tiny habits, just saying, ooh, 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 I can help, I can help, I can help. The technology of transformation, we want this, of course we do. We want to become, we want to emerge into who we most authentically are. Well, in this lesson, I hope to make the case, we can do that. We can have that transformation. It's not only accessible to the super devout. It's not just available to the super disciplined. In fact, being super devout and being super disciplined can actually serve as a disadvantage. It can actually slow the process down. So just a little bit about where this lesson is going to end up. This will not be heroic effort territory. Looking back, one of the things that has been most surprising to me is how tiny my tiny efforts have been. Now, to be sure, I did a lot of big things. I did a lot of grand gesture things. I did a lot of blustery, noisy things. And I'm not sad that I did them. I'm glad that I did. I just know that that's not what, about, that's not what brought about transformation. What that did is it really just brought me to the end of myself faster than I would have come if I had just taken half measures. So I'm glad I did the grand gestures, but the grand gestures were not how transformation happens. I did lots and lots of watch me, here I go, watch me become, watch me commit, watch me stay steady, watch me be steadfast. I did, I did a lot, a lot of noisiness. I can laugh now. It was just dumb. <laughs> 
But the technologies that actually did transform me were shockingly tiny. Do a small thing, marshal just a small effort, but then put ourselves into situations that draw us back to do that small, tiny thing again, and then again, and then again, and then again. Do that, add time, and by the time the transformation actually happens, we've usually forgotten that we're doing the tiny thing in the first place. We've usually forgotten why we started the thing, how we integrated the thing, what made us make this into a tiny habit. We've forgotten all about that, so we just someday look up and are surprised because transformation often sneaks up on us. Transformation often surprises us. Oh, hey, that happened. And it's only in the hindsight that we look back and say, oh, that shockingly tiny bit of effort that I put in in changing the way that I live today and tomorrow and tomorrow's tomorrow. That tiny, tiny thing. Well, what do you know? Look at that. It is surprisingly unheroic. Mostly, it's just slow steadiness. It's like turning the pages of a storybook. It's not too much to change, to turn a page. It's just a little bit to turn a page. Now, if our lives were storybooks, then those big sections that got carved out during seasons of our lives, those would be the chapters. Because often the times we can look back and say, oh wow, I was really struggling with this at this time or that at that time. Those times of carving out some version of the false self, those are like the chapters in our storybook. But most of the time, we're not working on chapters. Most of the time, we're just turning pages. This is the time, this chapter, when I look back over this section of life, that's when I kind of rethought how God works, or that's when the dinner divine was digging into this trait or that attribute. Yeah, that's the, that was really going on. Who that was a really stubborn version of false self. Yeah, that was a struggle. That happens in hindsight, looking back over sections of our journeys, the chapters. But the tiny part is the part we live. We live day after day after day, just turning a page. Just turning this page, and tomorrow turning the next one, and then the next one, and the next one. The commitment to transformation isn't much bigger than turning a page. We make the commitment to do some tiny thing, but inevitably we forget, or we get tired, or we just stop, or we lose the plot line, and for some reason we stop turning the pages. That happens all the time. But then, here's the nice thing about this. We are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Have you heard that before? And there is in each one of us an interior light. And there is in each one of us an interior voice. And if you listen for that inner voice, when you lose the plot line, when you, not if, when you stop turning the pages, that inner voice will be there to remind us. Are you willing to do it again? Are you willing to get up one more time? Are you willing to go after it and turn another page in your storybook? And if we do, 
the arc of the narrative keeps moving forward. And if we don't, it doesn't. But that's okay, because that interior voice will be back tomorrow. It will extend another invitation tomorrow. But if we stop turning the pages, if we stop responding to the interior nudges, if we stop saying yes, we stop recommitting to some tiny thing or another, all we do is just stop turning the pages. And then the story gets stagnant. And then the story gets monotonous. And pretty soon, it becomes a pretty dissatisfying story. Because we stop turning the pages and the unhealthy patterns stay unhealthy. The stuck thinking stays stuck. The unhelpful emotional reactions and habits stay locked in place. They just stay where they are. But when we lose our way and we hear the interior voice and we get up and we say yes yet again, committing to some tiny thing one more time, even when our brains would prefer that we check out, even when our brains prefer, would prefer that we go play some video games, even when our brains prefer that we go answer some emails or clean this thing or fix that thing just at least so we can feel productive or whatever the, the distraction is, if we resist the brain's siren song to not get up again, and if we do get up again, change, transformation happens. Slow and steady, over a lifetime, it happens. It's very easy. It's very easy to stop turning the pages of our storybooks. It happens to every one of us, and it happens all the time. But again, when it does, we just stop the story. We stop evolving, we stop adapting, until a lesson comes along. Or you read a book, or you hear a podcast, or you have a conversation with a friend, or we sing a song together, or you hear a reading from the spiritual tradition together, and there the invitation comes and says, yeah, yeah, that's you. That's for now. Here comes the invitation again. Come on, come on, keep turning the pages. Come on, keep moving forward. Come on, get back to it. Keep on this journey of self-discovery. Keep finding the truer you. Keep moving deeper within. Keep carving out those lesser parts of the false self. And we want this. We do. We want healthier patterns and habits. We want fewer negative thoughts and fewer uh, unhealthy responses to stress. We want healthier responses within our relationships. We would like to have more resilience. We would love to have greater adaptability and more flexibility. We want this. We want to be better equipped to navigate life when it gets difficult. We want to bring to our world more kindness and more empathy and more resilience. We want this. We want to be beacons to other people. We want to create deeper connections. We want more inner peace. So comes the quiet invitation. Come on. Come on. Let's go again. Let's go again. So indwelling divine, a rhythm of transformation in our lives, may we, tiny, 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 be agents of change in our lives.
Amen. Well, if you would, prepare your uh, offerings. Um, I actually don't know what to do about this. Um, I had an idea at the beginning of the service and I wrote down some notes and then I kind of changed my mind in the middle of the service and then I changed my mind again and I can't remember where my mind is in terms of how many times I have changed. <laughs> so let me tell you this um, and I will probably, th the reason I'm hesitant is because I don't want to say these kinds of things very often. So here's the thing. We're very careful when we talk about money in our community. Uh, and the reason is really obvious to anybody is paying attention. You might have heard this as I have. All churches ever do is just beg for money. Oh my God, all they ever were interested in is money. And so you've heard that like I have heard that. And so we're very careful. And sometimes we're so, so careful that the community doesn't know what's going on. So I'm going to tell you what's going on. In the spring, I gave a bunch of numbers and I distinguished between what it costs for us to move in and what it costs for us to function on a monthly basis. And I said, we've gone way over in what we expected it would cost to move in. However, that's not a big deal because uh, that's a one-time thing. But I'm a little concerned because we're going uh, consistently, in a, not too much, but a consistently in a small amount uh, into the hole every month in terms of our monthly income. So that was May, and then things were okay in May, and th we went, came in right at budget in May, right in budget in June. Now, again, our expenses were high. I think we've got about $2,000 left to spend on moving in. And after that, if there's still more that needs to be moved in, we're just going to live with what we've got. <laughs> But we've got to finish the lighting for a reason because it doesn't work for the, for the live stream. Well, then July came and then August came. And in July came, uh, I, I just saw the numbers this morning for July. I hadn't seen those. I just saw August. So in August, we went $8,000 over budget in our move-in expenses. And again, not a big concern because we actually had some savings. And uh, that's where those uh, dollars are going. I think um, then the uh, monthly income, however, we also went $6,000 under our budgeted. So even though the 8,000 over was a one-time expense, we still went $14,000 into the red in August. Then I saw July's numbers and they weren't that different. So we have emergency funds just for situations like this. But now we have substantially less in our emergency fund. And three months like this, we will have no emergency fund. So I probably, like you, look ahead and say, okay, what if, what happens next? There's not a lot of wriggle, wiggle room in our fixed expenses. We've got rent, we've got insurance, we've got random things like our one-wake dues, we've got a lot of web expenses. We've got, uh, so our fixed expenses are about a third of the, our monthly budgeted number. Our monthly budgeted number is about $23,000 a month. So what we do with the other two-thirds is people's time. The biggest chunk of that is my time because I am the only full-time person, but then we've taken what, you, what, tip, uh, what a typical church our size would do is have a minister and a secretary. 
but we've taken the secretary's role and we've broken it up into a whole bunch of small roles, each one a small stipend, and we've done it that way. And so we don't approach any one of those stipends in a pay per hour kind of way, except child care. We do pay child care on an hourly basis, but we really approach those stipends as a way of saying thank you for spending time on our community. Thank you for spending energy on our community on the days when you did not feel like it. Volunteers opt out some days, as volunteers should. So we instituted these uh, thank you stipends as a way of building consistency. Volunteering is the lifeblood of our community, all churches really. But sometimes in order to get healthy community, we need more consistency than volunteers can provide. So our thank you money is for consistency to consistently keep us organized, to consistently be, prepare, be preparing for and spending time with our children, to consistently create the spaces where we then can work the circle together. So we decided to spend those consistency dollars very carefully. The board spent a lot of time on it. The, back then it was called the church council. We looked at them, we explored them, and then we watched carefully. Are those dollars actually transitioning into fruitfulness in the community? And so we watched very carefully and made those decisions very uh, judiciously. So if we decide to not spend those dollars some months from now, we will be saying no to something that we have found very, very helpful. We could do that. We've actually done it before. We've lived as a community without those things in place, but it will undercut some of the efficacy that we have been able to build into our community over the last few several months or even couple years. So that's where we are. We don't have to decide anything, but we may have to decide something. So I hope you think of Common Thread as your community, but if you do, I also hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community, our finances included, and again, as we say, we all give online. There's lots of ways. It's about as easy as it can be. All right. Let's dismiss the folks online, shall we? Thank you all for joining us. And I hope you'll head over to the, uh, the Zoom. I don't know who's leading it today. Do you know who's leading it today, Sue? No? Whoever's leading it, I promise you there's nice. Pearly. Oh, Pearlie's leading it. You're going to like it. She'll be very nice to you. Uh, the way you get there is you follow the link that's in the YouTube notes there, or you go to our website and you can find the link. And if you get to the password part, it is 1417. I hope you'll join and do what we're going to do here in the room, which is, what are you thinking? And um, what do you do now? Oh, yeah, we've dismissed those people. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that's, all you needed to, that's all you needed to do. If you would, please put your hand on your heart, and let's remember as we go that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine which means there is deep within us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Those things exist within us because we are. Every one of us carries the indwelling divine. <coughs> and if you would extend your other hand to our city. And this week, let's look for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair our world, to heal our world, uh, Amen. God bless you all. You all are dismissed. If these recordings help you move forward on your spiritual journey, we hope you'll take an ownership stake in the community and support the health and well-being of the community. Go to our website, commonthreadchurch.org. The donate button is right there on the top. Thank you.